0: Then from there, once you have a little bit more of a base of like, okay, where is the tide shifting within the industry, then where are my own interests and my own faults, that can then gear you more towards like, okay, how can I now mold this as far as um, where my where my professional career is trying to go at the-
1: Hello and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined in the line later today by the young Padawan himself, Mike Camperini. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, what's going on, and what's new in my neck of the woods because, man, there is a ton going on right now. Uh, You know, when people use the term busy, like if you ask somebody what's going on, they're just like, oh, busy, busy. Like, That kind of annoys me, and I feel like there should be some sort of qualifier, so as I go through this list, I'm going to hopefully qualify what I mean when I say I'm busy right now, so last weekend, just all of the things going on, Saturday, we had three games, Cade had his baseball game, Kendall had her end-of-the-year soccer tournament, so we had a game at 9.30, Kendall had a game at 12.45, my niece graduated from IU, so we went to her graduation party for like two hours and then came back and had a second soccer game because we played both games of the tournament on Saturday. So we played the last one at 545. So needless to say, Saturday was just all over the place. Uh, by the time I got up on Sunday, I was already just tired just from Saturday. And you know, the glorious life of Mike Robertson that day included yard work, going to Costco, and then I had talked to our soccer girls all year. I said, at the end of the year, we're going to go out for ice cream. For some reason, they didn't believe me. They must not think I'm a man of my word. But uh, we made sure we went to handles, got some amazing ice cream. Uh, one girl swore, I promised her I would get her a triple scoop. The, she tried to order a triple scoop and the girl was like, oh, well, listen, like one scoop for us is like two and a half. So that would be like seven scoops of ice cream, at which point I immediately said no. Uh, and Nona was like, yeah, was like, no, 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 no. You're not having seven scoops of ice cream. So uh, needless to say, it was an amazing time. I love doing that at the end of the year. It always it always sucks. You know, like, let's be honest. We thought we played well enough. We won our first game, lost our second We thought we were going to push through and make it into uh, the championship of our bracket, and it just didn't work out. So it's always kind of bittersweet when a season ends, especially this year, because we're in a third, fourth grade league. We probably only had, out of our 11 girls, only four were in fourth grade. So we had a lot of young girls that won't come up with us next year because third and fourth stay together and then fifth, sixth go together. So all those girls uh, are going to be just crushing it in, in their league next year, and we move up to fifth, sixth grade, bigger fields, bigger teams. Uh, so a lot going on there, but excited. Kendall also, I was pretty proud of this, got nominated to play in our All-Star game uh, on Monday night. So very excited for her. You know, the, the club asks for the coaches to recommend players, and I recommended two. You could recommend up to three, but I said these two stand out on our team. Uh, didn't include Kendall, and not because I don't Think she's good, but there are just two girls on our team that are really at another level than the rest of the gal. So, somebody else thought enough of her to put her in the game. And for some reason, they asked me to coach. So, uh, pretty excited about that. It, it felt really exciting for her when she played the game. She looked like she fit right in. You know, she definitely wasn't getting blown by. She had some really good moments. So, really excited for her. And, you know, hopefully that continues to generate her passion and her interest. For sports. Again, I don't have any inklings or desires for my kids to grow up and play in college or play in the professional uh, ranks, but I would love it if they would play sports for a while and learn the lessons that a lot of us learned along the way. That's why we turned out to be coaches because sports were a big part of our life. We learned a lot from it. And I think a lot of us in turn fell in love with the weight room, maybe even more so than we did our sports themselves. So that was just last weekend. Like I said, a ton going on. And then this week, I mean, the grind is real, you know, and I'm sure, uh, Gary Schofield would hate hearing that, but yeah, the grind is real right now because I've got basically all of my athletes back. Um, some are kind of in and out this week, but this week, next week, it's going to be full tilt for probably the next two to three months. So it's not just the athletes coming back, but it's getting an idea as to where their bodies are at. Uh, what their goals are for the off-season because some of them were in a nice rhythm and routine with, but they have kind of different goals for this off-season. Some want to gain weight, some want to lose a little bit of weight or lose a little bit of body fat. So, you know, we're going to have to tweak and modify their program. Their bodies are different, you know, like the physical structure maybe doesn't always change, but there's little things that they pick up over the year, or maybe they lose some range of motion over the year. So it just takes time to get all these programs laid out, And I think you you probably know at this point in time, I'm not just handing out the the workout of the day. You know, I sit down and I flesh out kind of my goals for each of the mesocycles, even though I only write one at a time, I've kind of got a big overarching view of how I want their off season to look and when they're going to report. So it just takes a lot of time. These first couple weeks of getting them onboarded, getting them back in the routine, laying out the big structure and then writing the individual programs. There's just a lot going on there. And then on top of my athletes, I've got a couple mentorship calls this week. I've got an IFAST Q&A. I got my distance clients in on Friday. So all of the things going on, but let's be real here. If I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it. I love what I do. I was thinking about it the other day, you know, 21 years in, I'm still super passionate about coaching. Like it's the best part of my day. The summer is the best part of my year every year. And it's not because of the heat and humidity here in Indiana, it's because coaching the most and I've got great people that I'm working with and they're all focused and they're ready to to get to work and get better. So really fun time for me. I hope you can say the same. I am going to stop rambling now because we have an amazing guest this week. My guy, Mike Camperini, he's interned at IFAST. He's been a PT student with Bill, incredibly sharp guy. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Mike. It seems like almost every day, I talk to a young trainer or coach who was frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My complete coach certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. The exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym. From squatting and deadlifting, to pressing and pulling, and everything in between. And last but not least, I've added an entire section on my assessment process, and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Of course there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in March, 2021. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for our launch emails coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support. And I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Mike Campo Camperini is a PT and strength coach who lives and works out of Phoenix, Arizona. He holds a DPT from Simmons University, a bachelor's in exercise science from Springfield College, and has spent way too much time at IFAST. He's worked in both the collegiate setting and private sector as a strength coach and is currently working as a PT with predominantly post-op patients and some online clients. He also claims to be the strongest, smartest, and most handsome man in America – but I'll let you guys judge that for yourselves. In this show, Mike and I look at the journey necessary to become a physical therapist. We start with basics, like what to look for in a school and why having some say in your clinicals is so important. From there, we talk about the role and value of the schooling process and how you can and should continue to educate yourself outside of the school environment. And last but not least, we talk about the transition from school to the real world and how you can get your career started off on the right track. This was a really great conversation, and if you know anyone who is either in PT school or considering attending, please pass it along to them as well. But enough for me. Let's do this. Hi, dude, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself?
0: MR, thanks for uh, having me on. This is awesome to be a part of this, but a little bit about me, um... So I got my bachelor's degree at Springfield College in exercise science. Uh, I've worked in a few different settings as a strength coach, both in like collegiate team settings as well as in like the private sector. Then after doing that for a little while, I went back to PT school to get my DPT and get into the rehab realm. And right now I'm just doing a lot of my own stuff online as well as working in in a physician-run clinic where I do a lot of post-op PT. So it's a great experience for myself, so.
1: That's awesome, man, that's awesome. So talk to me, because I don't know, even though you've interned essentially for us twice, like what got you started in all this? Like what got you excited about the world of physical preparation?
0: So it actually started pretty early for me when I was um, in elementary school. Oh, wow. They came Yeah, so they came to elementary school as like an intro for like middle school. And they showed like all these different clubs that you could go into. Back in the day, I was like this pudgy kid, um, but I was still an athlete. So I had interest in like moving around and everything. So they talked about like the track team. And I was like, ah, I'm not into running. not trying to do that. <laughs> they talked about like the band. I'm like, okay, not into that either. But then they talked about the weightlifting club. And I was like, oh, okay. Like that's something I could get behind. Um, but naturally, well, when I got there, what it turned out to be was just like one of my science teachers just like started the club. So you get paid to lift in the gym after school. Oh, nice. And so it was pretty much just like me and him in the weight room. And he'd be like in the corner doing curls, looking himself in the mirror, like <laughs> blasting heavy metal. And I'd be like struggling under like 40 pounds on the machine bench press. Yeah, that's like kind of how it started for me. And then eventually it evolved into like, okay, as I went to middle school and high school, this actually became like pertinent for like football and baseball and sports and everything the gist of how it started and then with pt it was more like i got uh, injured playing football and it's the usual song and dance of like get injured go into pt already had an interest in this and it's like oh okay like it's a decent career that i could see myself doing and
1: how that evolved that's awesome man that's awesome yeah. so talk to me uh, like give me the the career arc if you will and we're going to focus a lot on your journey as a pt student I think that's one of the main themes of this show overall, but like, talk to me about your different stops along the way. So PT school, you get into rotations, you know, like talk me through all that.
0: Sure. So, well, I kind of always knew that I wanted to go into PT. So even when I was doing like all my internships for my exercise science course, I tried to gear it towards like, okay, yeah, I definitely want to learn some principles on my training and understanding all that. But I also want to have, like, this this lens or this niche as far as getting more into, like, the return to play or treating injured individuals or treating individuals with pain. Um, so I did a bunch of internships with people that kind of specialized in that. As far as I started with um, when Pat went over, Pat Davidson went over to New York, interned with him. And that's also when he was, like, teamed up with all the resilient guys.
1: Oh, yeah. So that was like
0: That was, like, a great summer for me as far as, like, that was really, like, my first... Uh, exposure to like hey this is how you bring someone through a training session yeah this is how you conduct the training session and this is what we're looking for so that kind of like introduced me almost into like the culture as far as like my values and things i wanted to look into and things that i was pursuing and so that was a great like first exposure to that and that's how they led me to you guys initially at ifast and you guys have kind of been the bread and butter as far as um, enabling people to not only uh, train well and train for performance, but also taking all those other considerations as far as like movement deficits or issues with past injuries or pain or things like that, kind of taking it to the next level and set the standard. So that was a great first stop for me. And that just kind of, well, not only did it affirm like me going into PT school, but you guys definitely put a spotlight on all my other deficits just as like not only a coach, but just as an individual in general and trying to, again, set the standard for like who you're trying to be as a professional.
1: So. I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things that that I always tried to emphasize, because at IFAST, we've had all these different waves, right? We would get at the start, we got a lot of just like coach coaches, right? Like people that mm-hmm. wanted to be strength coaches in the purest sense. And then we definitely went through this phase where we got a lot of PT ish students, like people that wanted to hang out with Bill and learn that side. And I remember, I don't think I was angry because I'm not a very angry person, (laughs) but I definitely had moments. And I probably had this discussion with you at one point where it's like, look, like I love that. And I love the fact that you want to continue your education and go to PT school after that. But this next 12, 14, 16 weeks, whatever it is, is all about coaching. So when you leave here, you've got to be a great coach. So I just respect the fact that you not only dealt with us for whatever that was, 14 weeks, but you came back and did a whole nother rotation with Bill later on.
0: Well, and so that was, I mean, I alluded to like, appreciating like who I was as an individual and like understanding where my process was back then. Yeah. And then, you know, getting that two week rude awakening that little spank in the butt of like, Hey, like this is really why you're here. <laughs> it's like, become a better coach, become a better person and have an appreciation for that. Before you really start to d- dwell into more of like the nuances, the more interesting things, and that's really where, like you know, we talk about things like setting up a base. Like setting up a base as a coach is extremely important. Yeah. Not only as like a PT, because you're using all the same principles and everything that I learned in that initial internship, that I'm using as. Um, as a PT right now. And I, if anything, I might use even more of that stuff as opposed to a lot of the more nuanced biomechanics and mechanisms and things like that. I, I genuinely believe that, um, uh, Rufus sets like the standard as far as what you should, <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. Like, he, he sets the standard as far as like what you should seek to achieve initially out of like that first. So he's, he's like self-admittedly not like the smartest guy or the most creative guy and i know it sounds mean of me to say that but he'll admit it himself right but um and with all of those like the lack thereof of like some of those more god-given traits like he's still able to set the bar of mastery as a coach exceptionally high all you have to do is just hang out with him for one of those saturday lifting sessions and and see it's like oh crap like he's spending like four hours, like dwelling into like how to coach this RDL, which like is useful and not useful. But the fact that he's able to have the capacity to do that demonstrates the amount of mastery he was able to, to garner just with like, uh, curiosity, humility, interest, things like that, that enabled him to reach that. And that's almost like if anything he should be like the poster child for like that that first internship I went through as far as like hey this is this is why you're here right not not all that other fancy stuff it's like look at what you could really become if you just focused on like the the bread and butter of what it is to be a coach you know yeah so
1: I love that I love that miss that guy man Rona kind of sk- kind of kept him more on the south side we got to get him back up north for a while man I miss him
0: And now now he's branched out doing his own thing with the the Rufus movies with Rufus podcasts and everything. He's big so. time.
1: He's big time. I don't yeah. even know if he wants He's to hang out with there. us anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's Hollywood now, I guess. Huh?
1: Yeah. Okay. So again, I think the big focus for this show, I want to, I want to just focus on your journey, like going to PT sure. school, rotations, all that good stuff. So let's start very basic. Walk me through the process of choosing a PT school, and kind of a two-parter here. Most of them are sure. What was your criteria, and then uh-huh, two. What were the things that were important for you when choosing a school? So
0: I, I guess they'll kind of blend together as far as what, what things were important to me. And I think I had an advantage just as far as like how self-aware I was as far as where I wanted my career to go. And PT school always tries to sway you and make sure that you're taking like that general approach and everything, which is, which is important. But I think it's a little more important for individuals that really... Um, have less of an idea of where it is their, their their interests are and their trajectory wants to go. Gotcha. So um, my criteria kind of revolved around, well, I'd still have a vast interest in, in athletics and sports and, or that outpatient route and understanding all of that. So let me see if I can find a school that at least caters to that path that I'm trying to create for myself. And And the criteria for that wasn't too advanced just because, well, I knew where I wanted to go, so I want to kind of pick my own clinical rotation. Do do you guys have at least the capacity for me to to do that so that I have a little bit more control as far as like where this trajectory goes? And then secondly, I wanted to make sure that they had a a human anatomy lab, like a gross anatomy lab. Um, And I thought that having that experience to look back on was extremely important, not only in understanding anatomy, I think the biggest uh, thing that I garnered from that was you can learn anatomy from a textbook and you can look at that picture, but then you have a room of 20 different individual people in front of you and then having an appreciation for like, okay, this is what it looks like in a textbook, but this is what it looks like for this person. Right. And this is what their anatomy looks like for this person and for this person, this person, and even understanding how their habits, as far as like drinking, smoking, dietary can even influence some of those things just as like a general health perspective but even like mm. the the pull it has on the on their body as as a whole in general like that was extremely important right. for me. um and then lastly like how, how cheap can we go <laughs> <laughs> like it's i don't think it's any uh secret for anyone who's looking to get into pt school it's like you look at that price tag it's like you start sweating a little bit right so finding the The combination of those three, or at least people that are willing to help with like your finances and give you some financial aid and things like that. Those are by far, in my opinion, some of the most important things. So, okay. How many schools did you look at? I looked at, I, I applied to 12 different schools. Okay. And it was kind of all over the country as far as um, locations. Yeah. Um, most of them were like in the Northeast cause that's where I'm from and everything. Right. But and then, so it, it's tricky because like, you got to cast a wide net and then you kind of cross your fingers and see like, okay, maybe I might hear back from three of them. Right. And maybe I'll actually get accepted to one or two. And then those are my options. And if they match the criteria, then like, you know, thank God I'm able to go to some place that I actually want to go to, you
1: know? Right. So. so, okay. So one more follow-up. So you applied to 12 of those, mm-hmm. like how many did you have some say in what your clinical rotation would have looked like? Do you know
0: of of the 12 i would say uh 10 of them and okay. i and i that was one of the things where i literally called the the admissions office and there there's an individual they in there the director of clinical education okay get a hold of them and get an email from them get it in writing yes saying that hey like yes you're enabled as far as like the freedom of what what you're allowed to do because even, even plenty of times, like they'll say so-and-so just to get you to apply and get their numbers up and things like that. I'm not trying to sell them as like, you know, this capitalistic pig <laughs> that's just trying to get all the students and get all the money. Right. right. But it, the, the tune can often change as far as like what the trajectory that you're trying to take is.
1: That's really interesting. So, and that's, yeah. that's a grown up piece of advice right there. Cause when you're growing <laughs> up, a lot of times it's like, Oh, handshake deal, like with your buddy, but yeah, you get in the real world. If it's something big like that, you better get it in writing. That's smart.
0: Well, and, and even the school I went to, it was like, okay, yeah, they, they said that. And they, and they told me that, but then even like day one, as soon as they start talking about clinicals, it's like get in their office and make sure that it's like, Hey, this is, this is what I want. This is why I want it. As long as you demonstrate like, Hey, I have an idea of where I want to go in life. And like, I understand that you guys are hypothetically know more and know the best for me as a student and have your idea for your curriculum. But this is still my life. Like I, I, right. I want to go where I want to go. Yeah. And if we're able to make that happen, like let's start the ball rolling now to make sure that we're not trying to do this last minute and have to jump all these other different hurdles. It's like, let's start the process right now and at least understand my intentions,
1: you know? Yeah, no, I love that, man. Okay. So talk to me about con ed during school, sure. because you obviously continue to educate yourself over and above the standard PT curriculum. So sure. I want to know why did you do that? And maybe along those same lines, how did you go about doing it? Because you've got obviously a ton of things that are are weighing on your schedule. So how did you go about getting it? Right.
0: Done? So I think the the biggest thing for me, and even like the, the whole con ed thing kind of started even earlier than, than PT school, just because a lot of the people that I respected um and tr- we're trying to mimic when i was younger um we're doing those exact same things and so as you know a, a little tadpole in the industry i was like well i don't, i genuinely don't know what the hell i'm doing right so i'm at least going to try and tag along with these people and see like okay like this is what they're trying to do let me try and emulate that and that that even started when um i met my first physical therapist for my own shoulder and he was like a big ffs sfma guy back in like this was 2012 so i went to my first um course that he was putting on when i was like 19. It's like, okay i had a little bit of knowledge on like anatomy so i could like stumble through some of the conversations that they were having but at least it's exposing me to like a little bit of like the language and the lenses that some people within the industry are utilizing right yep. So we can adopt at least a little bit of an understanding and so I did that through years and even leading up into PT school, as far as like, okay, what are some of the people that I, I emulate? What are some of the things that they're trying to learn? And whether that's that's right of me or like the, the right path that I was supposed to take or not is, is irrelevant. It was at least exposing me to a lens that at least led me to uh, understanding like where some of the thought processes are were within the industry other than what was being taught in pt school or within my undergrad or whatever and then from there once you have a little bit more of a base of like okay where is the tide shifting within the industry then where are my own interests and my own faults that can then gear you more towards like okay how can i now mold this as far as um, where my or my professional career is trying to go at least so it started out as like nothing and then Kind of like mimicked people to like just get your own like weird ball of clay. And then, as that starts to form, you kind of see its own shape as far as like, oh okay, this is actually where I, my my misunderstandings are. this is where I'm lacking, or this is where my interests are. And then that's kind of how it kind of um, spiraled into where it is, you know to this day. And I'm still trying to figure that out it's the process. So.
1: <laughs> oh, I think we are. Number one, but I think that's sure. incredibly self-aware of you. I just remember, when I was finishing up grad school, I ranked myself on a scale of one to 10 on all these various topics, right? Like s- strength. I was a power lifter. So I put myself as like like a nine at 24 years old, you know, because yeah, I thought yeah, I yeah, knew yeah. it all. But I just remember <laughs> I put rehab and I was like a two. And then the next three years of my life, I worked in a rehab clinic. So I got a lot better at that. But there you I, go. But I think that's just a great life lesson is like constantly kind of evaluating where you're at, strengths, weaknesses, and the goal isn't to make your weaknesses strengths because that never really happens, but right. at least making it to a point where they're not what I would describe as a rate limiter anymore. Right. They're not holding back your growth or development anymore.
0: For sure. It's, it's when you first start out where it's like, all right, what, where, where are my downfalls? It's like, yes. oh, I, I don't know anything. That's a big downfall. <laughs> right. So, so let me at least go and talk to people that know something. So that's how you do internships and then, and then they can at least steer you towards like, okay, this is what you should, you shouldn't be interested in That's exactly what you guys did. That's what all my other internships did. And then, you know, it's like, again, going back to like the whole thing with Rufus, it's like understand the basics, at least. I think uh, a lot of people kind of poo poo the whole like CSCS exam um, and the, the textbook that comes with it. But it's like, hey, that's literally called the fundamentals of strength and conditioning. Yeah, there's some good fundamental pieces in there that anyone who's a, a 19, a 20 year old, a 21 year old coach that doesn't know anything about physiology or adaptations or periodization. It's like it's meant to be, again, a base for everyone within the industry can grab onto. Then as you evolve, you can understand what's useful, what's not useful, what's the context in which I'm placed in and how is that. Uh, appropriate as far as what I was learning. And again, it's like you you go back to some of those more basic things. It's like, you know, you took biology class. It's like now after going and working for a little bit and understanding where things are supposed to be, it's like now all that stuff has context. It's like, you can, you kind of wish that all you had the context before you went into the classroom. So you had like a little bit more um, appreciation for what you were learning. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like at least take it for take it with faith that like, hey, they they want you to learn this stuff for a reason. And whether it's relevant a year from now, whether it's relevant five years from now, it's still probably going to be relevant. So you might as well uh, uh, continue to put your efforts and learn some of that stuff. So,
1: For sure, for sure. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is arguably, like you said, it was the most important thing to you and that was your clinical rotations. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear how you went about choosing those and you kind of already said, you know, how much say you had, but like, sure. even, even though you said or they told you that you were going to have right. some say, like how much did you right. end up playing a role in choosing your own sites?
0: So they like, I guess like in any negotiation, there's always a little give and take. Right. Right. And, that, and that's how I kind of approached it as far as like, they have their agenda. I have mine. Let's see if we can meet in the middle and see if we can make this work and everyone's happy.
1: Right. Okay.
0: So there, there's different ways in which certain PT programs are structured. Sometimes four clinicals, and they'll be eight weeks long. Some will be three, and they're like twelve weeks long. Some will kind of sprinkle other um, shadowing opportunities in there. Um, but mine, anyway, was a three clinical rotations, and each one of them is twelve weeks. Two of them can be outpatient. So that's like your typical outpatient orthopedics or as defined, the patients don't live or sleep within the facility. And then you got to do inpatient, which is still valuable, especially whatever role you're trying to get into. It's necessary to at least have that appreciation for some of the the more medical side of things, right? Mm -hmm. So the way most schools will work, and this is for everyone. This is for like the, the person who comes into PT school and has no clue, they're trying to do with pt but they still want to be a pt right so they'll give you essentially a menu of however many partnerships that they have with either neighboring facilities or facilities across the country that they've created connections for and then it's essentially your job to rank those as far as where you'd like to go the most so you do some research you see okay is this a decent clinical site am i going to learn what i want to learn here etc and then you do that for inpatient and you do that for your outpatient rotations, right? And So the main things that, again, there, it needs a little self-reflection, and self-awareness as far as what you're trying to get, right? So the first one I had to do was a outpatient uh, rotation. And it, this this wasn't the IFAS one. I had already okay. tried to like set that one up and everything. And Bill doesn't take uh, first-year students anyway, because like a, a, a typical first-year PT student would probably like, cry and be put in like <laughs> a hole of depression after like right. the first two weeks of the rotation with him right. but so it's it's smart of him to not do that right um so the first place i went to was they actually specialized more in like the chronic pain side of things okay. so i saw a lot of people with uh, fibromyalgia i saw a lot of individuals who have had pain for like 10 plus years and things like that and that um i think was useful for me just as far as like uh creating an extreme representation of where people can really go. It's like how how far down that pole can can people get to when it comes to bodily pain and what are some of the more psychological factors that people tend to deal with. And that was hugely um, beneficial for me, just as far as like creating empathy, not only for them, but now for any patient that I'm about to work with All right. and understanding the kind of, soft skills that you need as far as treating these individuals and creating a bedside manner and having a certain uh, disposition when you talk with them. That was something that I learned as a coach at IFAST as far as like, hey, it's like, okay, you understand the anatomy. It's like, can you relay that to this person? Can you make them understand why it's relevant? Can you at least meet them at their level and see if you can understand where they're at and then guide them to where they're trying to go? That's, that's true for when you're training people, that's true for when you're working with someone who's got 15 years of low back pain, right? Yep. The second place I went to was then IFAST. so obviously Bill's been a, a huge mentor to a ton of people, he was a mentor to me previously. And I, I truly knew that, okay, my, my intent when I wanted to go pick my clinical, it was like, hey, day one, I went into their office and I was like, hi, there's a guy in Indiana I know him. I've met him. I think he's really great. I want to go learn from him again. Can we try and get this set up? And that was already well in the way as far as trying to create that. And then the last one was my inpatient rotation where, um, so when you're working inpatient, especially compared to like where I was coming from, from the upper echelon of like working with or performance level individuals and pro athletes and things like that. And then you get to, again, like it's another extreme representation of, uh, humans, as far as like what their physical capacity is, what their health is, um, and how far down individuals really go. And then it's like, now you're really tested as far as like, oh, okay. You, you thought you knew progressions and regressions. Well, guess what? Like you really don't. Right. So if you're dealing with someone who's, 400 pounds has been bedridden for the last like three years and has an amputated uh lower limb it's like guess what you still got to do exercise with them what do you got it's like how, how many tools in your tool bag and how how flexible can you really be as far as generating not only one one hour or half hour session with them but an entire program as far as where do they need to get to and then just having that kind of representation now using that in a clinic where I'm at, where it's, you know, somewhere in the middle ground of like, yeah, I get some people who are like, maybe like 40% down the rabbit hole as far as towards the inpatient side. And then you get some people who are like 40% up towards where some of those pro athletes were. Now it's, it's almost creates it um, easy for you as far as being able to get those progressions and regressions and understanding where they're at and understanding where you're trying
1: to get them at least. That That's awesome. And it's, No, it's just really interesting that they set it up like that because, like, I remember way back in the day when I was actually in school, like, we did a 16-hour, like, practicum where you have to, like, go and just get some sort of credit, right, and show up for a little while, and then you do your big internship, and so they kind of expect you to have it figured out, so I really like how you get kind of this well-rounded approach, and like you said you're probably never thinking I want to do chronic pain or I never want to do inpatient. But at the same time, like you alluded to, you picked up skills that not just skills, but it gave you experience and it gave you empathy and things that'll carry over to you as a practitioner the rest of your life. So, I mean, it probably sucked if you're not into that for 12 weeks, (laughs) but looking back, you can reflect on it and be like, okay, that wasn't my favorite thing to do, but it was valuable.
0: Right. If you, it, it, Puts things into perspective, like the more experience you have, as well as like the the vastness of the experience that you have, rather than just becoming specified, but seeing like the whole spectrum of things, puts it into perspective when, you know, I've got a 24 year old with an ACL injury. It's like, yeah, it still sucks. Like, it's not a great injury to have. and It's a bad place to be in life. But then you have another appreciation for like, hey, like it's totally could be worse. And It can totally get way better just based on who you are as a person. Yes. Just being able to relay that to your patient, um, give them an, an astounding amount of confidence—not only in you as a as a practitioner, but in themselves—and being able to to navigate the whole rehab process on their own and with you, things
1: like that. So I love it, man. Okay, so talk to me about the transition from school to the real world, because sure. it's it's tough for everyone. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I'm sure it was for you as well. So what did the job search process look like for you? You're, you've got the little piece of paper, right? right. You're a graduate. What did right. that look like?
0: Well, and it was especially interesting for my cohort because we were kind of getting thrown into the job market right in the height of coronavirus, right? So that was especially interesting as far as like seeing what some of like the jobs were available and like how receptive people were to, one not only bringing in a new body to a medical facility which is risky in general especially during a global pandemic but two bringing in a new grad that they have the interpretation they were going to have to train this guy there's going to be some learning curves and things like that and we're already dealing with like half these other problems with what's going on socially it's like well we got to maybe not really look into hiring grads and things. Like that. But typically when you come out of school, you can land a job pretty readily within like the first few weeks for a lot of people coming out of school with the, with COVID, it took, uh, I was looking for jobs back in May. I didn't get hired until like November until, oh wow, uh, well, until where I was now, I, I tried to work odd jobs and, that's when I started doing the online thing, not out of like interest of like, Oh, I'm going to build my Instagram and try and have a (laughs) social presence, which like I never cared about anyway. I didn't want to do that. But at necessity, it's like, well, crap, i are going to pay rent. There's some people, you know, out on the other side of the country that are willing to talk to me online. So let's start doing that. Okay. Scrounge that up, generate a little revenue. I can live off that. Um, I found another job where I was actually, um, Evaluating car accident patients for a it wasn't necessarily like a, a group of lawyers, but it was kind of a group of lawyers to where they can take my evaluation as a medical professional and bring it to car insurance companies and say, hey, like this person needs like medical attention and that's like part of the coverage that you need to provide. Huh. So it's like I I had no idea that even existed. I had no idea that's where I was gonna end up, but then I started doing like house calls and I'd bring my table. I'd Go to their house and do an evaluation and make sure that there weren't any broken bones or neurologic issues or anything like that. Again, it's like that's something that PT school is supposed to prepare you for. I had all the intentions in the world of becoming specialized and ending up more of where I'm at right now, but in order to just live on my own and pay rent, it's like, hey, you got to do this really weird, odd job that you didn't even know existed. But thanks to some of those fundamental skills, I'm able to do that uh, effectively and make sure, you know, someone's not uh, dying in their house right now.
1: You know? okay.
0: So that that was extremely interesting, just coming out of school and everything like that. But then it's just a matter of like, okay, reflecting on some of your past experiences, because now what the people really want to understand, it's like, okay, you're a new grad, but it's like, not all new grads are, are made equal. They have an understanding what what did you learn what did you garner what kind of skills did you create how much did you apply yourself things like that that's what that's what they want to see and that's what they want to see as far as like what kind of substance or quality of a new graduate are they getting right out of school so if you can effectively convey that in your little elevator pitch of a interview even though it's damn near impossible I always think it's like it's like a movie trailer for an entire book it's like you're trying to convey like a lot of the things in your life into like a one hour segment. It's right. like, that's, that's impossible. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? But do the best you can and at least have a little self-reflection of like, kind of like this. It's like, what was your path? What was your trajectory? What was some of the things that really stood out to you and why? And that gives them a little bit of glimpse as far as like your values and who you are as a person and just make sure that you convey that you're genuine about it, not that you're, full of it when they're talking to them like that's huge too so
1: right so okay so bringing this full circle talk to me about what an average day is like now because like you said you've got the online thing going a little bit you've got clinical work so like how does that work on the day-to-day for you so the schedule
0: worked out pretty well as far as like all the clinical stuff and that and that's the bulk of of my time it's like i work 40 hours i'm salaried like i'm seeing 16 to 18 patients a day in there and it's it's good it's all good experience and everything um but I'm there uh Monday, Wednesday, Friday pretty much from like 7 to 7. Oh and then, and then I'll work a half day on Tuesday and Thursday. And honestly it's like you know I've, I've been a strength coach for you know 4 years prior to this and I was a student working full time so it's like those hours I don't want to do in my entire life, but I right. can at least put up with them right now to make sure that I'm getting to where I want to go and building all the experience that I need as a first time PT right now. And then thankfully now with all of the, the changes to my schedule, I have times like this where Tuesday and Thursday morning, I'm able to talk to people, whether it's online clients or other individuals that um, I'm starting to build connections with through, uh, like the industry and things. So that enables me to have a little bit of free time as far as building uh, more of where I'm trying to get my, my career to eventually go, or at least more of what I think I I want it to go as far as, far as the direction, so.
1: Yeah, all right, big question time. If you yep. could alter the space-time continuum and give young Mike Camperini one piece of advice, what would it be? Sure,
0: I don't... Uh here's what's weird. And here's what's weird about always like reflecting back on some of this stuff where it's like, if I told myself one of these things, it would completely alter my trajectory probably as far as like, I could go back and say like, Hey, your, your shoulder's going to get hurt. Like, don't go into that football game. Right? right. That would bring me to the PT that exposed me to physical therapy. And then that wouldn't have brought me to Springfield, which exposed me to this whole group of network and eventually brought me to where I am today. And I, I love where I'm at today. I don't right. want anything of that to change. What I would try and do is almost, kind of what I was alluding to before is like, almost like take the hindsight that I have now and grant it to my younger self as far as like, hey, like, you know, all those prereqs that you're doing right now, like those had meaning. It's like, don't just think that because it's not readily apparent to you in your face at that moment, that it's not worth your time. And that's totally how I was as a younger guy. Like, I got I got A's and B's in all the classes that I really liked and was interested in. And if I couldn't see the point in the other stuff, I got C's and D's. And that's what you know screwed me in the end as far as you know my understanding of stuff now. And then even like some of my stuff for 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 grad school and college, right? Yep. Just having that appreciation, wisdom almost of where you're at, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to understand, and knowing that, well, if you applied that. You know, five years ago, you probably would have had a much better time of it. And that's even what I'm trying to apply right now. It's like, okay, even though it's impossible, it's like looking forward five years into the future, what would I wish that I knew five years from now and see if I can get that uh today. Yep. Try and try and, you know, find a loophole within the game or something like that. I, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, I love it, man. I think that's great advice. And again, pretty, pretty heady of you because I think we all have those moments where we're like, damn, I wish I would have done that different, or I wish right. I would have paid more attention in this class, right. you know, but again,
0: and, like and you're always going to have that. Like, I think like, there's always going to be that regrets, which is like, you're, you're never going to be perfect. You're going to never going to nail it the first time. Like you're not, you're not God, you're not Superman. Like that's <laughs> like never going to happen. So it, it's important to at least fail and then have those hindsights and that's how you gain like that wisdom as far as like okay now this is really where i want things to go
1: so absolutely huh? all right man last but not least we got our lightning round so for you i have yeah, five yeah. fairly short questions your answer okay. can be as long or short as you like cool
0: okay all right I'll try and make it lightning
1: quick for you i, I love it number one <laughs> what's your career highlight so far as a clinician <laughs> even though it's a short career sure has got to be something that stands out right
0: so there's one thing that kind of happened recently I, I was working on a project in pt school it was like kind of our capstone research project and then kind of haphazardly my my professor was like hey let's try and submit this to be published and so like lo and behold like the publisher was actually like hey it's pretty good like we're actually going to go ahead with this I'm like, oh <laughs> cool okay so just had to do a few edits and then it actually just recently got published and the, the cool thing about all this is um my mom pulled the ultimate mom move and she actually reached out to the publication. And was like, Hey, I'm so-and-so's mom. Like can I have a hard copy of this thing? <laughs> they actually ended up like sending it to her and everything. But that was just nice to like, she's put in like the work and tried to raise me and, you know, nurture me through like this entire process to where I'm like finally independent. And then that was kind of right. like her little cherry on top of like, like yes, like finally yeah. did this, you know, he's arrived kind of thing. So that, that was good to see for her. So.
1: Dude, that's awesome. And, and it's yeah. actually another one of my questions, because I was going to ask you like, what did you study in this paper? What was the paper all about?
0: Um, so it, what I was kind of looking at was um, almost taking like a, a fresher look into some of like the, the tendon protocols or the yep. tendinopathy rehab protocols. So a lot of it was based on like eccentric training and heavy, slow loads. And the main thought process behind trying to drive that kind of that kind of intervention was that okay well we think that tendonopathy is either an overuse injury or it's occurring within like the eccentric portion of a, of a fast um, stretch shortening cycle movement. yeah but you know then taking a look at more of like the the first principles as far as like how tendons actually function within some of those movements it's like well it's not really this eccentric motion of the of the musculature and it has to occur relatively quickly in order to get the kind of um, behavior that you want out of the the tendon itself. So what I actually did was look back into like, okay, well, Alfredson's like the big guy as far as like popularizing some of those heavy, slow stuff. It's like, where did he get that from? Then where did that person get that from as far as the thought process? It's almost like fact check them. Yeah, for sure. And then I started to see it's like okay they were doing all this stuff based on the understanding that they had at the time which is valid it's like they at least had rationale behind it but based on what we have an understanding of now or what's becoming a little bit more popularized now it's like that's not really how it works so let's at least look into like okay what happens if we try and do plyometric training or plyometric loading with some of these uh, tendinopathy cases and does it demonstrate the behavior that we we think it should and that's kind of what that paper was trying to put out it's like hey like we I get it as far as like the rationale for some of these exercises and they're useful but maybe not for the reasons that we think they are Mm -hmm. but can we also try and sprinkle in some of this other stuff because based on you know the understanding of some of these primary sources primary sources is in like the actual research of how this stuff should behave rather than some of the secondary sources of, okay, you read it in a textbook, you read it in a protocol, they're getting it from somewhere. They got it from their understanding of what these primary mechanistic sources are. Let's go back and see like, okay, did our, did our understanding of that get updated? Yeah. Wow. It did. So, okay. Should we update our, our approach as far as some of these tendonopathies? like, yeah, we probably should. So that that's kind of what I was trying to put attention to with that, that's awesome that paper. And so it seemed like it got some good good coverage anyway.
1: So did you guys talk about actual like ways to change the protocols? So I haven't,
0: we, I haven't got to read it yet. So we, we put it into like the discussion. So that's where like the discussion section for the okay, paper yeah, is, sure. is important and everything. And that's where you can like put your own opinion and things like that. And believe me, I wanted to put in way more than we actually put in. Right. But I had my professor who was kind of just like trying to to steer the vision as far as like, hey, no, like we need to stay specific. We need to stay a low reductionist here and like keep it to what we're trying to talk about, which is just Achilles tendons and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but yeah, talked a little bit about like, hey, it's almost like an insinuation you have to make as far as like, well, this is the stuff we're doing now. But this is what we see happen when attendants are actually put into the environment that we're trying to return them to. This is what happens when we do this kind of training and it matches more so of what we're trying to do with that environment. And so maybe that's a good idea. You know what I right.
1: mean? So, kind of leading the horse to water, so to speak. Exactly. And that's, that. that's more so
0: as far as like what my article is trying to create. I'm not, that. A researcher of like 30 plus years, I'm probably never going to be. So I don't have that stance of like, okay, this is the Camperini at all protocol for tendinopathy rehab. That's probably never going to happen. I at least wanted to make it useful as far as um, pushing the, the bar forward, as far as the understanding of what's going on, what the, the behavior is of some of these, these structures and kind of changing the, the perspective as far as what we're trying to do. So
1: Now, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Okay, number three, how is the Justin Moore project coming along?
0: <laughs> Slowly but surely. Yeah? No, he's he's doing great. He um And he's been great enough to be willing to be like this public guinea pig in a way and just see like, okay, I, I have like this new understanding of some principles as far as like how the human body is supposed to move. And I know you've always struggled as far as like trying to recapture movement and Having like pain-free ability to get in and out of cuts, jump things like that. Let's at least see like when we try and apply these uh, newer or this new perspective that I've gained, what what kind of uh, changes can we make for you? Are they for the better, both as far as like a health perspective and a performance perspective, which is really cool to see. Yeah, you know, a lot of times we'll put like that dichotomy between like health doesn't equal performance, things like that. But you know, sometimes you're able to have your cake and eat it too. As far as like, okay, you can move through his hips. He's feeling a little better. And his vert jump has gone up. Like, Hey, that's kind of cool. It doesn't right. work for everyone like that. Like I'm right. not trying to sell the, the ultimate dream for everyone, but in his case, it's like, yeah, we're able to make that happen for him. So that's, that's been awesome. To see. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And if you're not following that, definitely cool to watch that progress. Like I remember seeing him at the start, And some of those initial videos you guys put out and just like his spine position and the fluidity and his movements. Like, yeah, he's looking good. So now,
0: now he's even more, so this has also been the cool stuff too, as far as what we're trying to do. It's like, okay, we can, we can make Instagram posts as far as like the before and afters and show like, okay, the, the nice glamorous changes that we're making and everything. But now what we're really trying to do is like, he posts on his story, like all the videos and then that's typically like how I'll coach him. It's like he sends me footage, and then I'm like, okay, this is good. This is not so good. But now, rather than just keeping it in our private text stream, it's like let's at least put it out there so people can see like how painstaking sometimes the process can be, even yes. though you put it on the the Instagram as far as like, wow, oh, we made this amazing before and after. And it's like it was it was a stroke of genius and blah 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 blah. It's like. It's like, it it sucks and it's painful for the athlete and it's painful for you. And it's not always going to go as planned and just highlighting that at least as far as like setting that expectation, which a lot of times on the the look at me uh, side of things that social media really has. It's like, let's at least like show the reality. It's almost like an an actual reality TV show as opposed to like keeping up with Kardashian's glamorous reality TV show. So
1: Well, it details the process, right? Like, that's what's cool about it is it's not like here's week one, here's week 12. Look at how awesome. It's like, no, like over the course of every week, you're seeing changes and you're seeing your coaching cues and then you see him improve it a little bit and then you see your feedback and then you start to see, oh, wow, like that squat really is cleaning up or wow, he's getting so much more expansion now. Like, it's really cool to see that. So kudos to you guys for doing that.
0: What I want to do is even post more as far as like the faults as far as hey this is this is what i was trying to do it didn't really go like that right I'm still trying to figure out why it didn't go like that but this is at least what i was expecting to see and this is what we got instead so let's at least try and maneuver around to get more of that that target that we're shooting so
1: i love it i love it okay number 4 i know you're doing a fair amount of online training these days and everybody wants to do online training now because it's the sure. greatest thing since sliced bread so <laughs> In a lightning roundish fashion, give me the pros and cons of working online.
0: Pros would be, well, let me start with the cons first, is that it's way more painstaking and slower than you would do uh, in person. So kind of alluding to the whole Justin Moore thing, it's like there's mistakes that happen all the time. You can at least be flexible within the moment when you're in person and change those like right then and there. Right now, they got to film their entire workout. They send it to me. I go through the entire thing. And the next time they get to that workout, we're able to see, okay, did some of the changes we made to the previous day garner the changes that we actually wanted? So it's not as flexible. So there's a little bit more painstaking amount to it. Yep. The pro side to that is you get the client that is actually willing to put in that amount of work to create that. And it's readily apparent when I work with someone for the first two weeks, and then they're just like, ah, this isn't for me and that's totally fine but then you get that person where they really dedicate themselves to the process and that's when you see some really changes uh just because of the amount of dedication that they're they're putting into the whole thing
1: yeah that's awesome man okay bonus lightning round question is that a fleetwood mac poster in your background
0: it is man we actually stole this idea i forget if my girlfriend saw it on like pinterest or something like that but we had this like massive wall in our apartment we're like well geez are we going to go like full sorority girl and put like a tapestry on there or something like that <laughs> right like, no well let's just we'll actually use like some of the cool like wall art we'll get like a, a um what are they called uh, record player and actually put some of those up on the wall and everything so we can look all like edgy and cool for all our friends that come
1: over yeah so, so. no i like it immediate street cred is that is yeah. that her album or your album or is it uh, that
0: that that was a mutual purchase because now anytime okay. we go to an album store we'll like maybe get two or three. It's like, Hey, what do you think of that? Cause now it's like the art has to go as well as the music has to go along with it. So no, like I like got, it. You got some criteria here, man. So
1: yeah, I buy, I've just gotten to the point where like every father's day, I buy myself a gift, just something that I want. <laughs> so years ago it was the grill, but I think this year it's going to be a record player because I go. dig it. I dig it.
0: It's great. Music sounds way different.
1: It does. That's on your phone dating myself, but that's what I grew up on. I had a record player first. So. There you go. A little bit on the old side. All right. Last but not least, number six, what's next for the Mike Camberini?
0: Who the hell knows, man?
1: (laughs) um, And
0: and seriously, it's like you can can try and and like I was saying before, it's like it's always good to at least try and project into like those five years and see what you're really going to need to know and need to brush up on and everything. But what I've come to realize, it's like, all right, well, with each step in your career, you're not really exactly sure where you're jumping towards 100 feet from in front of you, you're more so jumping to like 10 feet or so. And you have an idea of where you're trying to go and you can make some more calculated 10-foot jumps in front of you. But it's like, okay, I I made my next step into becoming a PT. Yep. Let's see who I meet. Let's see some of the skills that I develop. Let's see who takes interest in some of those skills. Do they have some opportunities for me as far as where I want to go? Does that opportunity pique my interest? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Right, right now it's more like I want to go more into the p- private sector things and and start to continue to build this online thing and see how how much of a living can I make off of it first. Sure. Like I, I already am sure have- I can make my rent payments. Okay, great. Can I can I continue to save? Can I potentially create a, a life for myself, for my future wife, for my future kids, things like that? Um, and then are all those opportunities that are presenting themselves? Will they will they one, keep me happy, keep my family happy, keep all those other connections happy, make sure I'm not a jerk within the industry, things like that. <laughs> it's like I gotta there's all these different layers that I'm trying to account for. It's like if that opportunity demonstrates that yes, it'll account for all those things, then let's let's try and go for it. So
1: I love it. I love it, yeah. man. Well, Mike, it's been awesome catching up with you. You know I'm a big fan and uh man. I was a little nervous when Bill was bringing you back because I just remember you as <laughs> as a as a undergrad uh P, or an undergrad intern and just the oh, amount of growth intellectually and just growing up, man, it's been really fun to watch you come sure the fall, man.
0: I'm sure I caused many sleepless nights for all of you guys back then, but (laughs) I'm glad that you can see how great I've really become. Yes, you have
1: have come full circle, man. It's impressive. So again, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Where can uh, the listeners find out more about you and the work that you're doing?
0: Uh, My main spot would be Instagram. I don't post all that much, but I do try and post somewhat regularly. And then, like I said, that's where really I'm doing a lot of stuff with Justin. So that's the main stuff I'm posting about. Um, so that's campo.dpt on Instagram and you're, feel free to reach out, DM me, whatever. If you guys got questions, want to have a conversation, just want to keep in touch. Like I'm all for that. So,
1: I mean, yeah. just know he's not going to write you back because he's famous. I mean, the Campo deadlift, <laughs> the Camperini angle, he's got exercises named after him, man. He's big time, but you can try campo.dpt, right?
0: Thanks, Mike.
1: You're welcome, man. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks again for coming on the show, buddy. This was great. Thanks, buddy. All right, my friends, that does it for this week's show with Mike Camperini. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I mentioned in the episode, I'm just really impressed with this guy's evolution. You know, he started off as an intern at iFast many many years ago like a lot of kids he was sharp he put in the work he got a lot better but he was a kid at the time so when he came back and he did his PT rotation with Bill I just can't tell you how blown away I was with his growth and his evolution as a coach intellectually and just maturity wise I mean just very impressed with their with where he is at and where he's going in the future and while I'm not going to hold him up here In his late 20s as a subject matter expert, I can absolutely tell you his experience is very, very valuable. So if you know somebody else that's getting ready to go to PT school, they're considering going to PT school, or maybe somebody that's there now, and they're maybe a little disillusioned with the entire process, let them listen to this show. Please pass this show along to them because I guarantee they're going to take something away from it as well. So my friend, that does it for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.